nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Uh, welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. This is uh, Leanne Meyer, and I really want to welcome you. This is going to be a little bit of an unusual show today. I did have a show planned, and what we were going planning to talk about, um, I'll go into in a little bit. Um, but we've had to put that on hold because over the weekend, I've had so many contacts from nurses across the country who are wanting to tell their story to get their message out, and they're looking for help from whoever can give it to them. Um, so I decided that I would continue with the same two guests that I had um, planned on, and we will go forward with this show, uh, hoping to be able to share um what we've heard from various different nurses across the country, get that message out, and also uh, do a little brainstorming on what we can do to support nurses, um, particularly in the avenue of being able to have them say their, 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 their story, their truth, what it has been for them. Um, many times nurses are told to not talk, not talk to the media, not talk to anyone else both for confidentiality sakes, but also for liability sake for the hospitals and the organizations they belong to. So we really want to address some of the things we've been hearing and uh, talk about that. And then at the end, we'd like to share a couple of, um, of options uh, for nurses that we're trying to set up that hopefully can be helpful. So um, I am gonna go ahead here. The name of our show is COVID-19. Uh, brave healthcare workers are coping together. And before I forget it, I just discovered a few minutes ago that this is actually National Doctors' Day for the United States. And so uh, in such horrendous circumstances, I would still like to thank doctors all across the country and all around the world who are dealing with this incredible insanity that that we have. So... Um, the, I'd like to introduce my two guests today. Um, uh, my first guest is Maggie Brown. She's a holistic nurse, and she has been working, uh, I'm not sure, but for sure, I first came into it in November, um, setting up what they were calling a, a compassion caravan. And um, so, uh, Maggie, if you could come in and just tell a little bit about your, your bio very quickly, where... Where did you start and how did you come to the Compassion Caravan? Yeah. Hi, Leanne. Sure. I started, as most nurses do, in the acute care setting uh, and remember very clearly having a aha moment one day when I said, oh, wow, 85% of the people here, you know, these are preventable things. And so then I went and got my adult NP degree and practiced in primary care for a while. And I began to uh, shift my approach in feeling that uh, each individual has their own inner knowing as to what's the right path for their health and wellness. So I started to do health and wellness and stress management coaching because stress is 
such a huge impact on us, mind, body, and spirit. And, you know, here we are in some of the stressful situation we've been in in, in a very, very long time. And um, so I'm glad to be here today to talk with you about that. So I am a board-certified health and wellness nurse coach and a board-certified advanced holistic nurse. Okay. And um, how did you get started? You don't have to go into a lot of detail, but just mention how did the caravan get started? Sure, yeah. So the caravan's been kind of on my conscious awareness for several years, and uh, I started speaking about it with colleagues at the American Holistic Nurses Association National Annual Conference last year. And people were like, no, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So I started putting feelers out, and an amazing number of very experienced nurse theorists, uh, nurse leaders, holistic nurses, people from all over said, yeah, I'll help. And this group of people came together prior, all prior to COVID-19, like you said, you first came in in November. And it's a group assembled uh, for the Compassion Caravan. Our website's CompassionCaravan.com, so you can see all the professionals there, to help support nurses. So it's compassion expressed in response to the suffering of nurses as evidenced by nursing burnout. And we also know there's a higher rate of suicide among nurses, too. And this was all prior to COVID-19. So, yeah, right? So our our travels were actually going to have workshops in three hubs. And we were traveling from New York to New Mexico. And now we are traveling virtually to help support people. And then the the in-person will come later. Yeah. Exactly. As soon as as life becomes some semblance of normal. Um, And then my second guest is Heidi Orsted. And I met Heidi um, through Marie Manthe, who has actually been on this show a number of times. Uh, Marie literally wrote the book on primary nursing back in the 60s. And for many of us, I got out of nursing in 76, and that was the big deal at that point. Um, So to meet her and be able to be involved with her has been such a privilege. Um, Heidi was uh, at what um, Marie had started, I think, about 25 years ago. She started doing what she called nursing salons, which are somewhat along the idea of uh, compassionate listening circles, but just a little bit different. So, Heidi, could you give just a short bio about yourself and then talk about how you got connected to the um, nursing salons? Sure, I'm happy to do so. Thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Heidi Orsted. I live here in Minneapolis, and I have been a nurse longer than I haven't. Um, I started nursing as a pediatric cancer nurse, and I worked with families in that space for several years, both in nursing school and outside of nursing school, and and then kind of pivoted and did mother-baby care, worked in geriatrics. I did everything you can imagine for the first half of my career, really working and partnering with families and, and and with patients. And then I really pivoted and shifted to taking care of nurses. So I worked as a nurse leader for about 10 years, and I loved that work. And I found that so very rewarding. And and then I decided, you know, I needed to learn more about how to do that right. And so I went back to graduate school and got my doctorate in health innovation and leadership at the U and actually graduated in my 50s just this last December. And it was at that point when I was in graduate school that I found an opportunity to work in population health. So now what I do is I work as a clinical consultant, and I I work um, 
for a brokerage firm, and I work kind of at a, a level where I help organizations understand the health and well-being of their whole employee um, membership. And so it, it's really looking at it health at a different lens, at a population lens. And so what's happening in, in the world today in this COVID um, situation that we're, we're living in is just, you know, so very interesting and very sad. Um, but in terms of kind of backing up and going back to the question about the nursing salon, um, I was introduced to nursing salons actually when I was a nursing leader by one of my nurse friends um, who was on my team. And just like you, Leanne, Marie Manthe was a legend to me. I was working in primary nursing when I was 22 at the University of Minnesota Hospital with my cancer patients. And um, walking in the door, I I came to her house when I was um, probably pretty frazzled after a long day. And I just found this peace and hope and this togetherness of nurses that I'd never met before. And um, I walked in that day and I... I kept coming back month after month, and that was five years ago. Wow. So it just offered a place of solace and togetherness. And there's something about being with people um, who share that, that I guess, same story. Um, okay. And I guess we'll talk more about that. Thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll circle back around to these because I really want to leave this segment um, on a positive note. And as I'm hearing both of you talking and how you have evolved into modern concepts of nursing and and uh, very educated, I think that uh, nurses are still back in the shadows where people, so many people think all about doctors and that's about all we hear about. We hear about that in the media, we hear about it in movies, nurses are in the background and we still think of nurses as being handmaidens and nurses are far, Far from that at this point. Nurses are very well educated um, uh, in general, but then also uh, many times they're going into some specifics, uh, a specific area that they're focusing on. Uh, the nurse practitioners is a fantastic way for nurses to really be able to function at an extremely high level of nursing. And so we have this um, all around and, and in the hospitals, um, but nobody knows about it. So unless you've been sick or you are a nurse or you love a nurse or something like that, you have no concept what it is nurses are doing. It's maybe coming a little bit more to the fore now as we're now dipping into, um, I like to say, ancient history. This is the 200th anniversary of Florence Nightingale's um, birthday. And um, she was active in the Crimean War. And I have to tell you that the stories I'm hearing from nurses this past weekend and on the news makes me feel like we're right back there. The good news about that is even back in the Crimean War, Florence Nightingale was was developing statistical research. She was gathering information. She knew to keep uh, patients as far apart as possible, to keep them clean, to keep the area clean. I think I've even seen a picture of her with a mask on. So there's just so many ways that uh, Florence, if, if she was here today, she'd be right in her element. So we need to kind of um, bring that on. I don't know what the word is, but we need to bring her back in our souls and and find 
every possible way that we can to deal with with what is happening here today. So what I wanted to uh, start with is that in addition to getting some just terrible um, uh, stories from nurses, I've also gotten some pretty incredibly positive ones, and I wanted to share just a couple. Uh, One is from Marcy Clevenger. She said I could use her name. She's a stroke coordinator in Tennessee, and she said that she came home after a hard day's work and found that, I'll I'll read what she said, I came home to hearts, paper hearts, on her front door from her neighbors, and they were all so amazing. On each of the hearts, the neighbors had written something to her about how grateful they were for what she was doing. Um, They had they had dropped off bleach and other items that she needed but couldn't find due to her work hours. Uh, They all have hearts on their own windows. Uh, Her neighbors all have hearts there supporting the healthcare superheroes. I think I mentioned last time too that uh, in Ottawa, uh, Canada, uh, people all over the entire city were standing out on their front porches at 7.30 Eastern time and screaming and yelling and cheering for all healthcare workers. And I'd like to add any essential worker that is risking their lives, um, uh, bringing things to our door, uh, working in, in grocery stores, all of the different places that we need to have people still functioning so the rest of us can be safe in our homes. Um, so uh, I just wanted to share one more here. I can find it. And this actually um, is a person that also has been on my show a couple of times. Uh, Her name is Miriam Chickering, and she's the CEO of Nurses International. And so she has been dealing with this right back from when it first showed up in China, in the Wuhan province. So um, yesterday she shared uh, a little bit of her wisdom of how she has gotten through some incredible things in her life. Um, she nearly died uh, during the several times during the delivery of um, her uh, one of her children, and she said that she spent weeks in tremendous pain. I learned to live in the moment, to divide my life into 30-second increments of time, because living beyond those 30 seconds would cause me to anticipate additional pain, and that anticipation created suffering that was too much to bear. And so I was disciplined by that pain to live in one moment at a time. In living one moment at a time, uh, living is, it opens you to the possibilities of the present. One is opened to beauty and to joy that otherwise is unavailable when there is so much pain. And she uh, went on and talked about many disasters in internationally that she's been involved in, which involved um, her, some of her friends being killed in their efforts to create nursing schools for nurses in various different countries. So um, uh, I want to, I'm paging down here to find the other piece that I wanted to also share with you. Um, uh, And now I'm not going to see it right off the bat. So anyway, she was talking about the load that we're carrying, that many times we're not, especially as nurses, we're not only carrying our own load, but we're carrying lots of other loads. And absolutely, nurses are doing that right now. So she suggested that that it would be important that you only carry what you have been asked to carry, unload the rest. 
And for those of us who believe in a God who co-suffers with us, you are never alone in your pain. You are never alone in your suffering. And neither is whoever you are concerned or worried about. So take the joy that is to be had today and the pain one moment at a time. So I just thought that was really um, especially important to, to share right now. So um, at this point, I would like to talk a little bit about some of the things I've been hearing um, from nurses. And um, I had this all written down, and it was going to be so well put together and in order. And unfortunately, my computer decided to eat it five minutes before we started the program. So um, I guess the first thing I'd like to say that I heard from many different people was the concept of nurses saying that they felt like going to work was like committing suicide. Um, so that's such a strong, strong thing. Um, I want to open it up and, and perhaps um, either Heidi and Maggie can share some of the thoughts or some of the things they've been hearing from nurses. Um, uh, I would appreciate that. Maggie, do you want to start? Sure. Now, I want to thank you again for the, the reading from the woman uh, who uh, is Nurses International. Uh, it was beautiful. And unload the rest, you know. And I think uh, you, I can hear the fear in what you just said about uh, committing suicide. You know, that is mm-hmm. not being in the moment that's really projecting the fear and um, understandably so because they don't feel like they're well equipped. And I um, think we'll hear from someone later who can speak about that. Um, and and so for me, part of my training is mindful self-compassion. I know that reading just kind of reflected about mindfulness and that mindful self-compassion is can we be in the moment in in acknowledge this is, you know, what kind of suffering this is to actually feel that going in. And, and is there part of mindful self-compassion is common humanity? Well, here, the whole globe, we have healthcare workers around the entire planet Earth experiencing this kind of emotion. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that the comment is, I have heard from people that the concerns of limited supply, uh, and there are many healthcare workers that have comorbidities, and they don't you know, have the opportunity to protect themselves, they need to go to work. Uh, some people don't want to complain because they're afraid to, uh, well, they're um, concerned about that for various reasons. And uh, other people don't, you know, uh, feel what is it It came up when you were, when you were doing the introduction and speaking of Florence's 200th birthday, and I know she's here with us in spirit, and this is exactly where she would be. Um, I think we've had some kind of ancestral message to suffer in silence, and and we don't need to. We shouldn't have to. Uh, And I think it's really important to hear nurses where they are so they can voice and bring their suffering to the light, and, and perhaps that would lighten that load that you were saying, you know, unload some of the stuff you don't need to carry. And and lift the load a little. And that we need to reach out to other people. And in this situation where confidentiality and all of that is so important too, we do need on some level to be careful who we're unloading to. Um, And at the same time, um, 
we we need to take that if it's if it's talking into a, a recorder um, talking uh, you know to another nurse before you leave the shift or something like that it's really important we get that out so um, uh, Heidi did you have something you'd like to share of things you've been hearing yes I would I, thanks for asking me and I think um, you said it well Maggie I think nurses right now are really craving a safe space to say what they're most afraid of. And, and sometimes those words can't be said at home because their spouse or their significant other can't hear that um, because they're afraid of the very same thing, that they'll lose their spouse in this day of COVID. Um, you know, at, at, the, at the most recent salon that, that I was at, um, somebody quoted Maya Angelou that hope and fear cannot occupy the same space. And I thought that was a very healing thing to to hear. Um, and somebody else said something from C.S. Lewis, and it was that I've learned now that while those who speak about their miseries usually hurt, those who keep silent hurt more. And I think that's the power that offering these spaces where nurses can come together safely without fear of retribution without fear of retaliation, that's going to be what we need to offer. And that's what the salons offer. I think that's what the Compassionate Caravan offers. Um, And it's having a place where nurses come together, where their leaders are not present, where they can be anonymous and they can truly share, and that offers healing. And I think what I was hearing from nurses at the last, couple of salons um, who were working with patients. And again, they weren't necessarily seeing the sickest of the COVID population, but um, they were seeing that their nurse friends weren't able to feed their families because the grocery store hours were reduced. They were seeing nurses that were in common spaces and people were spraying them with Lysol because they were wearing their scrubs and people were afraid um, that they were carrying the virus. there were nurses who um, maybe were in a, a divorce situation and were afraid that they would lose custody because they could be carrying the virus. So there's a lot of things out there that um, unexpected consequences of being a health professional at this time. And the salon offers a space where people can express these fears um, at, in a, a safe space. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what has been coming up recently. And not anybody um, uh, doing therapy or telling them what they should do or should think or whatever. It's just really getting it out there and being heard. Um, So very important. So um, I want to just preface this is that in the things that we're going to be saying here now for the next probably 20 minutes or so, I want to make sure you understand I'm not trying to shock What I'm hearing from nurses is they want their story to get out because they want people to stay home. They want them to understand that if they will stay in their homes for whatever period of time this is going to take, it's one less person who's going to be sick and end up coming into the hospital and potentially coming in all at once where the hospitals are completely overloaded, which is what's happening in in New York City and California was happening in Washington state. I'm not sure if that's still there and many others that are starting to come online now that we didn't even know about before. Um, 
so I have been informed that I have um, I have uh, two people who have called in, and uh, Darlene and Maggie. And I'm thinking that um, let's go uh, let's go ahead. I'm just going to skip the break and let's just go ahead and bring them in and let them talk about what's been happening for them and what's the, what they've been hearing. So, um, are you there, Darlene? I am, yes. And Maggie? And Maggie? Yes, yes ma'am. Okay. And um, if, you're, if you prefer to just use your first name, that's fine with me. Um, Darlene, could you t- say just a little bit about yourself so they know uh, what your background is? Sure. I am now a retired nurse, uh, but I have 31 years in level one trauma emergency experience. Uh, and have I'm still very involved in the nursing community. Um, I suppose that's it for okay. my background. <laughs> okay, Maggie, can you share a little about yourself? Yes, ma'am. I've been a nurse for 20 years, critical care, primarily uh, ICU, ER, pre-op, PECU, endo, iron, cath lab. I still work on the, the front lines primarily in the cath lab. Um, like Darlene, we're both active in the, the community to help uh, nurses. So, um, Darlene, what would you like um, uh, people around the world to know about what's happening for nurses now? I think that what we bring to today is the gravity of the problem. And, and certainly we don't want to spread fear Uh, But what we're hearing from nurses all over the country, hundreds of nurses, they are saying to us, we feel expendable. We feel like we're disposable. We feel like we're going on a suicide mission. I hear nurses say, I'm afraid to go to work. I have never felt like this. And the reason for that is it appears to be in every state, they're not, there either is a shortage of N95 masks, which is the only mask that will protect you from COVID-19, because COVID-19 can live in the air for three hours, but it is expelled through the patient coughing or sneeze or even talking. Up to six feet away, it can be inhaled. And the only mask that is protective against viruses is the N95 mask. Nurses across the country are sending me policies and procedures and memos, all of which say, do not use the N95 mask. If you use it, you'll be disciplined, terminated on the spot. I've heard stories of CNOs, chief nursing officers, going through the emergency room and ripping masks off nurses' faces and telling them that they will be terminated if they ever see it again. Nurses are only allowed to wear a surgical mask, which is not protective. We don't know if there is is a shortage or if there is hoarding, but the bottom line is nurses are not being protected and they're afraid. Yes. Uh, Maggie, uh, would you like to share? I know you're still on the front lines, and and, um, I know, uh, would you like to share your perspective? Yes, ma'am. I've primarily been working procedural areas, which has pretty much come to a, a halt um, because um, unless you're having an active heart attack, 
we're not bringing you down to the cath lab, and they're not supposed to be doing elective procedures, which some facilities still are, which is, again, a concern to the um, healthcare workers as well, doing non-emergent procedures, but these teams that they're creating to deem this are norm normally physician-driven who are the money makers, but that's a whole other subject. The biggest concern, obviously, is the lack of masks. And yes, we have been told they took all the masks, and, and I, I am in the hospital. Um, they have removed all the masks to include the surgical masks. In the procedural areas now, and again, this morning that is changed from last week, last week it was one nurse would circulate cases and they would get one mask, one physician, one scrub tech. Those would be the only people that would, would be given a mask and they would be doing all the procedures for the day. Everyone else would be ancillary assisting and would not be giving a mask. Now we're getting a mask and so you would have that mask for the day. Now, as of today, that has changed. We will get one mask for the week and this is a surgical area um, Katha, but we also are doing devices, so implanting PPN, uh, pacemakers and uh, defibrillators into patients, which is different than doing heart cath, which you could probably flex a little bit and not have a surgical mask, but not when you're implanting devices into a patient body. That That is a huge infection control so, risk, and we do have concerns about that. So maybe, Maggie, when you say mask, are you meaning the N95 mask or are you meaning a surgical mask, which is just the little, um, usually blue um, uh, molded mask? Which which one? Just the surgical. Okay, the so surgical you're not mask. even We're getting not an N95. Okay, and so there from a... a box that's locked up. There's a box that's locked up for the STEMI team. STEMI means that you're having a heart attack, which is a four-man team. So there, are, there's a box that was created that's locked up for the four-man team that's called in. They are giving, uh, a, they're giving a PPE, which is an N95, the goggles, and then the house supervisor would bring a papper um, to the STEMI team if that was needed. But they're not. There are no N95s, and there are no surgical masks. Okay, so. Uh, PPE for everybody who is not healthcare, it's personal protective equipment, and we may be popping that in here quite a bit. Um, so one other thing you said is if you are using one mask, uh, the the um, protocol that all of us as nurses have been trained is that you never use a mask. Again, <clears throat> um, just the act, act of removing that mask putting it somewhere and putting it back on means that it is now a contaminated mask, not necessarily with Corona, but certainly that could be one of it, but any of a number of other um, uh, bacteria and virus and fungi and whoever, you know, whatever else is in the area where that mask was put while you were off. Is that correct? Yes, yes ma'am. That is correct. Okay. So when you're coming back and doing a new procedure with an old mask, <clears throat> there is a distinct... Uh, problem not just for the nurse but also for the patients. So, uh, what right. about like in the ER where they are in um, uh, probably a lot of the people they are encountering do have COVID? What is there for them? I can so speak to that because that I, I, received... I still hear from. Oh, okay. Uh, I think right. it's Darlene. The that I still receive because I'm still, um, I haven't worked ER shifts in the last three to six months. Um, for various reasons, but I won't now because they won't give us the mask um, and the appropriate PPE. You get one mask 
per shift in the organization that I'm with currently, and they have sent out videos on how to wear, put a surgical mask over the N95, how to remove that surgical mask, because you're to use uh, both of those repeatedly and to store those. We're given a, a paper bag that we write our name on, and then you're taught, they're sent out videos on how to remove both of those masks place those in the paper bag for reuse. Okay. For, in the so, ER, they're letting you use those for a day. In various other departments, you have to hold on those for a week. So if you're in an area where you, uh, so if you're with uh, maybe anesthesia and you're not using those, that's a poor example. If you're with okay. maybe med surge and you're not exposed to that. Maggie, I want to keep going. <clears throat> I want to keep going because I know the masks are a big thing. Um, also, uh, some of the things that I've been, uh, uh, well, for one thing, everything you're talking about is basically going back to that concept of the Crimean War. So we are going back to an era that is almost unheard of, uh, except on a war field. So if you are out on um, a combat plane and you are or, or you are out on a battlefield that's when things like this happen where you do whatever it is you can do if you have to use your bare hands to plug somebody that is bleeding from a bullet you do that um, those are the kinds of things that happen only in those I extreme situations and we are there so um, uh, I know uh, many people were talking about the courage of uh, many of these uh, healthcare workers who are doing between 12 and 18 hour day shifts uh, and at the end of that time holding themselves together, uh, not really being able to be there for the patients or the patient families who are, of course, distraught because they can't uh, even call and talk to their, their loved one uh, and they certainly cannot come in. So they are calling nurses and wanting to get information. And, of course, the nurses are so busy taking care of their loved one that they don't have time to talk to them. And many of these nurses are going out to their car and sobbing, absolutely sobbing, before they then go home to their families and maybe have to uh, figure out a way to get in the door without taking their clothing that they have on because the fear of bringing that to their family. I heard of one doctor who was living in a tent in his garage um, so that he would not uh, infect his family or was trying not to infect his family. Um, we also, it's not just masks, it's gloves, it's um, gowns, because uh, needing so many gowns, um, so many more caretakers that are care workers that are there. Um, Maggie, do you want to talk about what the solution was uh, at your hospital for a gown? Uh, I'm sorry, so Maggie Ortiz. Um, so we're still using the yellow... I'm not exactly sure what they're made of. Um, we are given the uh, their pappers, and they actually they um, it covers your whole head over your neck, and it blows out positive air, so you're not inhaling any of the outside um, air. But still using the gowns, and you're not unless you're in a surgical area. These nurses are not giving been given scrubs. They're still wearing them in and out of the building. Wow. Okay. So another dangerous thing. I, I think it was you that had mentioned the garbage bags. 
Yes, we saw the nurses were posting in New York, yes, that they were wearing garbage bags because they didn't have anything else to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. So expecting even, I think I heard that they take those home and bring them back so they're not getting a new garbage bag to cover themselves with. And of course, that's probably not going to cover their arms, um, just their bodies. So that's certainly um, huge. Um, is there, uh, I know, uh, Darlene, you had said that you and Maggie Ortiz had just gotten off uh, uh, doing a, a, web, a web webinar. Could you say just a few right. things about that? We, this morning, were on a webinar with physicians, uh, primarily from one from the U.K., and one from the United States, and they are also echoing there is insufficient uh, PPE, particularly the mass. The difference is the U.K. has adopted more of a open communication with nurses, telling them the truth, telling them why there aren't masks, including them in the plan, and the problem that's been identified in the United States, because we just have a very different approach in how we treat nurses, is that nurses are being intimidated, nurses are being bullied, nurses are being disciplined, threatened with discipline. And the one thing that really, to me, shines or, or comes to light is, is all these policies and procedures we're seeing coming out of the hospitals contain one sentence as if it's a, a national warning or sentence, and that is they all say you can't wear a mask because it scares patients. Mm -hmm. and it, I find that most interesting, the hospitals throughout the nation all using that same phrase. Uh, but we discussed on, the, really it was the same tone as the conversation we're having today, is how, one, how do we get out there the news and the voice that we are being asked to risk our lives and so, and to be vectors to infect patients. And secondly, how do we support, encourage, and hold up nurses who are working in a war zone? Exactly. Um, and this is Heidi. So I, the other thing I think missing from some of what has just been said is how do we use the innovative thinking power behind the nursing right. workforce. Right. I think if you were to ask anybody in a hospital, who is your most creative thinker? Nurses is what's mm -hmm. going to bubble up. You know, I Hands think down. There, has, there is one, there is one um, group down in Florida, and it, it could have been a nurse anesthetist, it could have been an anesthesiologist, but they realized that the sheeting that is used to cover the instruments uh, before it's sterilized um, before a surgery, that blue sheeting, we're all familiar with it, mm -hmm. one sheet can be made into 10 masks, and it is better than an N95 mask in wow. terms of its ability mm -hmm. to filter for the virus. And so they have taken to making those masks down in Florida, and they published it on LinkedIn, and it's gone viral. But it literally can, one sheet can make 10 masks, and a mm -hmm. seamstress can make a ma 10 masks in about 20 minutes. But again, it takes if you take the thinking power behind a nursing workforce, we can help solve this problem. So let's get away from telling nurses what to do, and let's ask the nurses, how can we solve this problem? 
Heidi, right. um, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's one of the things I wanted to say. That's the message that I hear nurses um, who are calling. They want to get their message out of what their story is, what they're experiencing, and they also want to change healthcare around. They want that the nurse leadership is in charge, is at every single table where any decision is being made at the most, um, almost like they, some one person used the word embedded in the decision-making of, of any uh, healthcare organization, that nurse leadership, I, I talked about how we have nurses that are so incredibly educated and capable, and with it, they bring with that that compassion and that caring and that optimism that we've developed along the years. So um, that's something that I wanted to make sure that we get out. We're coming toward the end of our time here, and I want to thank um, Darlene Nelson and Maggie Ortiz for coming on and talking with us. And for the last few minutes that we have, I'd like to talk about um, a positive thing that we think might be helpful for nurses around the country and hopefully around the world. So thank you, Darlene and Maggie, and hopefully we can thank talk again. Thank you for having us. You're very thank welcome. You. Please be safe. Yeah. So uh, Maggie Brown. You're welcome. So, Maggie Brown, if you could start and tell just a little bit about, you've been coming up with your cohorts, something you're calling the Compassion uh, Listening Circle. Could you say a little bit more about that? We just have maybe 10 minutes. Um, and then, okay, um, sure. so just a few minutes, and then I'm going to have Heidi talk about the uh, what's different with the salons and how they might be able to set them up. Where do they connect? Okay, great. Yeah, well, I, I do want to just comment on the courage to be vulnerable and the bravery of people as Darlene and Maggie, who are with us, so thank you for that. And I'll also second that LinkedIn YouTube that Heidi mentioned, because check it out if you haven't seen it. And yeah, that's nursing innovation right there. Um, so the Compassion Caravan actually was a, it's a not-for-profit project that came together prior to covid and its compassion was being expressed in response to nursing burnout. And the needs assessment that we did, it was the glaring things that we're seeing here in maybe a heightened state mm -hmm. of bullying, of um, disenfranchising, of not inviting to the table uh, nursing forces. Uh, so compassion is, uh, you know, a human quality that gives us strength. Uh, so in this time of immediate need, we have obviously switched to virtual, uh, and our in-person will be in October, but for virtual, we're going to offer three things, and this has just been from a very, um, you know, grassroots, less listening to the nurses in the acute setting and the nurses not in the acute setting, what is needed right now to help support nursing, and the first one we're going to do is 15-minute compassion check-ins, they're called. It's going to be a Zoom virtual room, not recorded, facilitated. The, the circles will be anchored by uh, experienced holistic nurses who will just make sure that the environment is maintained safely so people can come, be heard in a compassionate, heart-centered way, but just speak what they need to say in that moment. And it's, you know, non-crosstalk, no advice, no feedback, uh, a quick circle around. It's all they have. So we're going to offer them up at 2 p.m. and 4 a.m. 
because those were the times identified for us that would be most likely for a nurse that might be feeling overwhelmed to be able to just click the Zoom link, jump in. Um, we're really clear up front. We'll do that verbally when we're together, too, that this is not crisis management. This is not a trauma intervention. It is not therapy. Uh, it's just so what we were saying earlier, that unload to just lighten your load a little bit, especially before you go home. You know, a lot of nurses only have that little moment, and then they, like you were talking about, try to get germ-free and get into the house and be with their family, who often, I think, Heidi, you mentioned this, aren't even able to be there for them to process some of this stuff because it's too hard for them. So that's the first thing, 15-minute compassion check-ins. And the second thing we're offering is a 45-minute compassionate listening circle. And those are very similar to the swans, so Heidi will talk about them. As it, but what we don't do is uh, like a advice giving or brainstorming around what's being said. So it's a safe environment. What's said there stays there. Um, it's, again, heart-centered, non-judgmental listening. But it gives longer amount of time for people to actually tell their story. So it's hearing someone's story. And that's the response to the nurses. A lot of them who don't go home and have a family but might be in a more, you know, shelter-in-place situation where they're more isolated and they need to talk things out a little bit more. And that could be for a nurse or healthcare worker in any setting. And those two would be Zoom uh, and also facilitated by experienced holistic nurses just to maintain that safety environment. Okay. And then the last thing we're offering, which speaks a lot to um, what Heidi um, might talk about in the slums, is called Compassion in Action. And that's just a 45-minute gathering for nurse leaders and, you know, seasoned and new leaders who want to talk about, okay, how, does, how do we help shift the paradigm? How do we move into this new age of healthcare where things aren't done in a way that we end up in situations like this? Okay. Thank you so much. And Heidi, yeah. I know um, there's some similarities, but I think there are some differences also. Could you um, tell a little bit more about the nursing salon, how that works, and then how they might find out how to make that happen, especially virtually? Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to do so. And I think like Maggie said, I think nursing salons pre-COVID were all handled in person in Marie's living room or, you know, they, they had nursing salons elsewhere throughout the country and actually internationally. Marie started them in the UK and Australia, but for this purpose, now they are a Zoom meeting. Um, and now because of what's happening in our world, they're offered weekly. And Leanne, you're going to put a link to um, the Zoom meeting on your webpage, correct? Correct. Just so people, okay. Um, so they're going to be happening weekly on Wednesdays from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Central Time. And they are a virtual meeting. And the way that salons begin is Marie is usually the facilitator. And um, if not, I might do it. Rebecca might do it. There's some, some of us that come quite regularly. And we introduce what the salon model is like. Um, and what kind of the tenants are. And, again, it's confidentiality, so what's said in the salon stays in the salon. Nothing that is said there should ever cause harm to anybody that mentions anything. So, for instance, it would never be that Heidi Orsted said this in the nursing salon. It should never leave that space. It's a private space. It's safe to say what you need to say there. Um, we all check in, so we go around and we say what's on our mind about health care, 
We all listen respectfully to whoever's in that room. It's done by a Zoom, so several people can attend, obviously. And then we all agree to kind of what are we going to start with? What are we going to visit about? And the conversation just grows organically, much like we did today. And then at the end of about the hour and a half, Marie will say, I think it's time for us to check out now. And then we all say, okay, now what's on our mind about healthcare now? Inevitably, people leave feeling much lighter at the end of the meeting. And generally, people say, I feel a lot more hopeful. I feel heard. I feel like I have a new insight that I didn't have before I left, um, when I came here. So that's generally what we hear when we leave. Um, and I think two things. You know, I think what I heard from our last salon is that we're going to have that Wednesday meeting. What might be happening is we might also have salons for nursing leaders, um, which is going to be a separate invite because they have a new, they have a different set of problems, I think, coming out of COVID. And if that's the case, I think you'll probably make that invitation um, available on your website as well. So. Okay. I'll be going through Marie Manthe to get the specifics on those things. Um, yep. So, yeah, so the and and like I said, I have also been to these salons. Uh, I go whenever I can, which unfortunately isn't as often as I'd like to. But it is that opportunity to. Um, they say that um, reality is our perspective. Whatever our perspective is on something, we think that is reality, and that everyone else in the world has the same reality. And I think what I learned and and or reaffirmed in going to the salons is that everybody has a different perspective and their reality therefore is different. So if we look at somebody and we think they're they're um, acting in their life in what seems like a strange way to us, it's probably because their perception of the world is so much different. We have to, as nurses, find a way to support one another, not tear one another down. And the... Um, uh, the culture of many organizations now are set up on a business model where everything is geared toward the bottom line, which, of course, always comes back to money. And the people who are attracted into healthcare and especially into nursing, that is not their uh, baseline. They're in that because they love helping people, because they they um, uh, believe that what they have to give is important. They're bringing their whole self. They're not just bringing, um, you know, some very superficial aspect of, of doing treatments or doing cares or doing, um, you know, whatever else, passing medications. There is so much more that a nurse is doing uh, when she's interacting with a patient and that patient feels it whether they can exactly yeah. identify what it was that they felt they feel it and so we need to get back to how do we support a positive a more you know acknowledging the realities as difficult as they are and then bring it back to a positive what action can I take going forward that will make me feel more in control in whatever way that I am able to do either of you want to add anything yeah. to that? I have still a couple you know, minutes yet. Yeah. Heidi or Maggie? Well. I, I, Leanne, yeah. I love... So this is Maggie, and I just wanted to comment of that, just the thought of, you know, taking that awareness or the, um, the knowing of common humanity, you know, that there's no us or them, that we're, we're all in this together. And nurses, think of this global 
collection of nurses in their, their common humanity, um, not only in the suffering, but in the um, being kind to each other, that self-kindness to self and others. So um, yes. that's my thought. Heidi? Yeah, and, it, you know, the last week's salon, there was a, um, somebody there that said nursing salons cannot be the best-kept secret, especially at a time like this. And I yes. thought that um, is so true. Yeah, we need to get them out. We need to have as many of them going. You had mentioned that that what we're putting on right now is going to be weekly on Wednesdays from 6 to whatever, 7.30 or 8. Um, however, we could get inundated with, um, to, you know, thousands of people coming here. So what I'll be talking with Marie Manthe about is um, getting some sort of a recipe that I can put on my website, which is onceanurse.com. So www.onceanurse.com. I also do want you to continue to send stories to me. Um, You can contact me at leanne at onceanurse.com. It's L-E-A-N-N-E, onceanurse.com. And I do want to hear what you have to say, and I'm hoping to be able to develop some resources that can, again, be put on my website, but also given out to people as they are reaching out. Um, So again, we need to get nurses in the lead. We have some incredible training that's different than any other type of healthcare. And so it's very important that um, we get get nurses out front so that we're doing what we're doing in as a compassionate as um, as is possibly possible to do. Um, I just had a flash and it went right in my brain and out my brain. Oh, I know. Um, next week on April 6th, uh, I will be having a... Um, uh, a pre-recorded show, and it will be with um, an epidemiologist from NYU, Gary Yu, and Stacen Keating, who is a nursing instructor also from NYU, and we'll be talking there about uh, other aspects of COVID. I have to leave at this point, so thank you so much for uh, listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and I thank my guests, Heidi Orsted and Maggie Brown, and also uh, Darlene and Maggie, who got off. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.